So one of the one of my favorite would you rather questions that we've ever answered is the one on would you rather be not fight. I don't like that variation because it doesn't make as much sense. Would you rather be a duck-sized horse or a horse-sized duck? And someone recently discussed or mentioned to us the idea of would a duck-sized horse actually be incredibly strong, scaling the size of it down, but would it maintain some of its strength? Then we were talking about, is it better to be a really strong little horse or a massive duck? Because obviously the criteria for any decision is what will it do to my Wilkes? <laughs> You're listening to the Propane Fitness Podcast, your ultimate resource for fat loss and muscle gain with none of the gimmicks. With your hosts, Yusuf and Johnny. Simple rules, dramatic results. How will my relative strength be affected by this morphological change in my body? <laughs> I remember when you asked, when you asked the answered the question, you were like, <laughs> "If I was a a duck sized horse, you you'd be, <laughs> <laughs> you'd be able to you know live in your garden and you'd be able to stay in your house and you'd be really safe and no one would notice you. <laughs> but if you were a, a horse sized duck, you'd get chased by Wada." Oh, yeah, chased by Wada, the yeah. military, yeah. London. <laughs> you don't want London coming after you, bloody hell. That is who you ring, isn't it, when things get a bit more serious. When when you max out the local police, you've got to ring London, mm. ultimately. Well, we got a complaint from a couple of weeks ago, the podcast, where we were asked by Tim Garrett how to kill a man with two punches, because we neglected to mention that that was a throwback to the question of how to kill a man with one punch. <laughs> so... Apologies, Tim. We, Did Tim uh, complain? Yeah. Classic Tim. <laughs> if anyone wants to get in touch with Tim, they can get him at, or just search Tim Garrett on Facebook. And I'm sure he'll, he'll happily answer any of your questions. And he, and he loves online abuse mm. and that kind of thing. Really enjoys it. <laughs> so today, we've been asked a few questions about abs. So one person has asked, why is my abs and traction control light on? Um, <laughs> as well as, are abs genetic and why are abs so hard to get? <laughs> <laughs> so I think the first person maybe maybe misunderstood what we offer as a, as a service. <laughs> but oh. all very good questions, and I think abs are a, a kind of sore spot for us um, in general. So, well, for at least for Johnny. So, oh, there it is. <laughs> so we we have shots that. fired. Shots fired. <laughs> One of our podcast topics that we've done in the past, a long time ago, video podcast with me wearing green trousers. And it, I watched that the other day. Did you? Yeah. It was probably um, the majority of the conversation on the top on the podcast was about the green trousers, but um, that there, was talking something about... we could talk about today. That's new. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> I think we better wait for a video. Okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> the green trousers podcast was talking about stubborn fat, how to get rid of that. So that's kind of a separate topic about abs that we can cover um well you can listen to that podcast to listen to f you can listen for the podcast to listen to the topic on the podcast. on stubborn fat so if yeah. that is a problem for you then fine as for your traction control light go see your local mechanic email admin at propanefitness.com and we'll we'll book in your car for a service <laughs> mechanics are a real real sore point for you well your car broke down oh yeah it broke down yesterday the battery wouldn't start and i found a website called click mechanic like a like deliveroo for mechanics and they just send a guy to your house. Is yeah. it, when you say it's like Deliveroo, is that because it isn't like Uber? Or 
I just feel like the thing that people say the most is, oh, it's the Uber. It's Uber or, or, I, yeah, I guess same? you could say it's like Uber. So it's like an on-demand service. Yeah, but you have you book in the time, so you say like it finds you the local, the most local. So they don't mechanic. come to you. Yeah, oh, they, they do come, come to they you. They do. Yeah. I suppose they would have to. Wouldn't they? That's it. And then uh, my that. brother came and saved the day, saved, uh, replaced the battery for fifteen quid. So I feel like home. this is a, this would be a nice intro story. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Just the the trials and tribulations of of Yusuf Smith. Yeah. Well, thank thanks to my wonderful brother who doesn't listen to the podcast because he's a dick. You might not, nice yeah, start. but he came to the hospital car park and replaced my battery while I was in the hospital, while I was, like, not as a patient. How did he know that that was the problem? So the, the mechanic came and diagnosed it, uh, and then said, oh, I'll come back and replace your battery, but it'll be £130. Right. And I texted my brother, and he was like, bloody hell, that's ridiculously priced. So he was like, I'll do it myself. I'll go to the scrapyard. And he was like, now the guy who owns the scrapyard's a bit of an arsehole, but... I love how he, so he's familiar with the man who owns the scrapyard. He's familiar yard. with so it. This, this, isn't, like this isn't his first time. Oh, absolutely not. And so he, <laughs> <He's familiar with laughs> so he found a, a battery from a crashed car for £15 rather than 135 and he just fitted it himself while I was so your brother working in hospital. really so has spotted a gap in the market there. Uh, yeah, he could undercut. Everyone. Yeah, <laughs> very true. That is, because that's exactly the sort of thing that while your abs and traction light controllers on, you just pay whatever, don't you? You just, whatever the mechanic tells you, because you, you want your abs light to go off, so you just pay. Yeah, absolutely. I was in a desperate situation. I was mm. like, I have to get to this hospital by and my abs lights on. Mm, you rather fixed it. Fantastic. So there's the answer to that question. As for abs being genetic, so Johnny and I have different um, abdominal This is where you said me fat. <laughs> In a very round Over and over again. <laughs> so, as you may have seen, like, I think almost 100,000 of you by this point have seen a time-lapse video of me over five right? years. Yeah. 100,000 people. It's a bit mental. Um, and if you haven't, go on our YouTube channel. There's a weekly photo time-lapse over that period of um, me trying out different diets, getting fat and lean again over and over. And you'll see that I have quite thick abs so even when i'm maybe 18 or 20 percent body fat there's still kind of an outline of abs i store my fat much more evenly and whereas johnny seems to get when he's kind of below 10 percent body fat he'll have like striated quads <coughs> and feathered glutes and vascular face <laughs> but abs are still the last thing to come through so i think i probably have what's considered more of a male body fat distribution if you... Oh, here we go. Shots fired <laughs> once again. <laughs> yeah, return fire. So, um, well, I, th I think the, and I think, you know, while while you may be a bit upset about it, I think you'll also agree that you are just quite a feminine person. Yeah. No, I'm joking. Um, so, like, if you look at the standard, you know, the like the beer belly stereotype of a man, that physique is someone that normally has fairly... <laughs> just got cramp. <laughs> Rotate the cup. You used to just pull the best face. You have quite thin, lean limbs, but a but a huge belly. So, Johnny, I'm really upset by this. <laughs> <laughs> Whereas I think women I'm sensitive about my thin limbs and huge belly. No, no, well, no, that's me. That's me. That's not you. I'm thin limbs and big belly. I can't find this video. What do uh, I search? Your I think your long limbs. Long limbs. Long long limbs, not necessarily thin limbs. I think once upon a time. Yeah. They were thin. I see. 
But Only you, through you've done repeated to... bouts of very <laughs> painful experiences have they got nothing. What did I say? Transformation. Uh, transformation five year. Well, just just search the word year because we're looking at our our own uploads here. There we go. Eighty two thousand. Amazing. I bet uh, the comments um, on here are oh, very, very good. Hilarious. A lot of steroid accusations. <clears throat> Am I the only one concentrating on how his belly hair changes every time? It was very unexpected for me as a pianist to hear Chopin in a bodybuilding video. This is natural. Great five years progression. Congrats. Hmm. Started making noticeable gains when you started to get spots on your back. A bit suspicious. Someone did this in one year using steroids. <laughs> That's insane, man. Great work keeping up. Keep it up. Your lower back looks so powerful. <laughs> <laughs> Who's that in the Thanks, background? Cynthia. Um, Some fantastic. How tall are you? People love that question. But you lost all your chest hair. Fail. Another video that's got a lot of very funny comments on is my 531 progress. Yeah, weirdly. <clears throat> YouTube's a, just a barren place to <laughs> spend any amount of time. So... Yeah, so I think the, 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 the atypical male body fat distribution is a lot on the around the abs, whereas I think the typical female body fat distribution is hips and legs. Yeah. That'd be fair to say. Now, unfortunately, <clears throat> a lot of this is genetically determined, and we cover the ins and outs and some of the physiology of this in this other podcast, but there's not a huge amount that you can do to change that. Biosignature claims to be able to do that, which is the supposedly the art or the the sham art of giving you expensive surprisingly broccoli supplements to make you change your body fat distribution and and how somehow your body fat distribution is an indication of your hormonal profile there is a article propianefitness.com forward slash biosignature to guest post from menno henselmans from bayesian bodybuilding who completely debunks this idea of biosignature but Again, body fat, yes, it's genetically determined. Yes, it affects how visible your abs are. And we cover that in full. So if you're interested in strategies on how to um, improve your stubborn fat, which is different to your overall body fat distribution, this is when you're getting very lean and you've got that final bit of abs fat. There's a few things that you can maybe do to tip the scales in your favor. It's not going to be dramatic, but, but you know, we're going to be straight up with you about that. Um, check out the episode for that as well. I Just to, because I, I think there's bound to be some people on here that are biosignature trained, that mm -hmm. have had biosignature. I have tried and experimented with biosignature myself for I think around 12 weeks to see if it, and it was towards the end of my diet, you probably remember this. Yeah. Towards the end of my diet, I, w I was trying to get to the point where abs were more visible. Um, followed the the suggestions, the protocols, exactly the as defined, uh, the expensive supplement list, exactly as defined. Um, and the measurements actually got worse, funnily enough. Now, I don't think that's because biosignature made them worse or the, the supplements made them worse. I just think it's, it is just still, even at, um, even at low levels of body fat, still just a function of, of calories and time, really. But the difference between Yusuf and I is, well, go on. Yeah, so I, I think that that's, that's a very important point, Johnny, that whether you get abs is maybe 10% about your genetic predisposition to abs and um, your body fat distribution and how deep your um, your ab your abs are, so how, how deep the tendons lie over your abs, because it's kind of like a, a roast of beef, you know, when you have the strings over the beef and how deep set your abs are is really how much they've hypertrophied underneath those, those um, ligamentous <clears throat> strings that kind of push it through. 
so how how much they bulb out mm. anyway all bulb of that out. stuff all of those little factors that affect kind of the subtleties of that there may be 10 percent. 90 percent of it is about your consistent calorie intake what your body fat is overall and how you're training i think really the 10 percent as well is just how your abs end up looking once you have them yeah, you know, exactly. it's not. It's, you still have to have them. <clears throat> exactly. Go and get them in the first it's place. A, it's a sheet of muscle that everybody has, right? Like, yep. there's nothing genetic about, like, do I have abs? Yes, of course you do. It's just the only thing that, that gets in the way of that is, is body fat percentage. And as I say, it's, it's a, it, for most people, if you're at this point where you think that you've been dieting for a while and your abs still aren't there, I've been there, trust me. It is not, the answer is not fasted cardio with Yohim being at 6 a.m., mm-hmm. it's <clears throat> calories and time. And it's a painful journey for some people to get that because it's the last body fat to go. It's a very common thing that we have people saying, oh, I've got stubborn body fat or like my abs, are, um, I've just got poor ab genetics. And it's like, I'm sorry, but that's not the case. It's just that you're 20% body fat. Or it's just <laughs> that you've not trained your abs enough. Like it's a muscle. It's like anything else. You've got to train it. You've got to hypertrophy it and it'll get bigger. And you have a hand of cards that you're dealt and, and that's it. And ultimately, even if you've got the world's worst ab genetics, if you... Ha- if you get to the low enough body fat and you train your abs enough, for all intents and purposes and for anyone that, that's a layman, they're just going to be like, oh, well, he's got abs. Mm. So I trained my abs yesterday. So I have abs in my program right now. I, I think for reasons that are more prehabilitation than anything, but it occurred to me that the only time ever in my life that I've trained abs is in the final stages of a calorie deficit. Okay. Which is in many ways completely ridiculous. Like it... Imagine training any other muscle in a calorie deficit thinking, oh, this is going to make this much bigger. Well, it's funny because that, that's, you know, a f- couple of weeks ago we were talking about the mindset that you're in when you're dieting and when you're in a, a gaining phase. And mm. that's exactly it. When you're dieting, you're like, oh, shit. I f- like, it's like... I oh, I forgot my abs. I haven't, <laughs> I haven't done my assignment until the deadline. Then you just hammer the abs. Mm. Like a kind of really lame end point attempt to do something about it. But how many people would you say have had a structured gaining phase whether in a calorie surplus or maintenance and during that time train their abs i've had a consistent progressive overload plan for their abs so, so i have but that's partly because of my gymnastics background mm. i think most people don't because it feels silly it feels like because well, like, oh, you can't see your abs a so lot of the like, time so it's like well what am i training imagine yeah. training your biceps and you can't see them It'd be pointless <laughs> wouldn't it so you do have very deep inset thick abdominals and you've done as you say I've got the combination, yeah. So I've I've trained them progressively, and I'm in that ten percent, the genetic component. I I am more blessed in that. I've got the ghetto booty, though, unfortunately. So like for example, my issues legs don't come through very easily. So I've got to be very lean to have any kind of change in my quality. Which is is devastating for you, I imagine, because everybody wants shredded legs, don't they? (laughs) Like one of the first questions that our clients ask is like, "Look, I'm fine with being." Totally obese everywhere else, but I, I want just people to want to see my IT band. Uh, yeah, or, I just yeah. want shredded quads. How do I do that? I, my, my, my quad hamstring separation isn't deep enough. It's heartbreaking. I can't yeah. wear short shorts because people laugh at me for it. So I actually think that lean legs are probably one of the only body parts that have the opposite reaction the leaner that they are. Eww. Yeah. <laughs> I suppose it happens occasionally, like when you got to the point where you could literally watch, see cellular activity without lean. Probably some people went like, Yusuf, mate, come on, like you've taken this far too far. 
but really it's only in the latter stages. Oh yeah, I mean I was dangerously lean by that point mm. and and yeah, I did get vascularity in the legs and stuff, but it was spent all your time thinking how do I get more volume from this broccoli or cauliflower like, like staring like, at the like can I eat any more of these? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've already had a box, but two boxes seems excessive. Speaking of which, in the news the other day, a kid so you know the magnetic ball bearings. Yeah. Kid ate 3 of them. And oh then my god. F- 2 hours later ate two more and because the first three had passed down his digestive tract enough the second two created the magnetic um pull between the two and ruptured or like it tore part of his um intestines and stomach and so he had to have surgery this was a apparently a, a school craze for 12 year olds to eat magnetic ball, bear- ball bearings <laughs> what was the point what was the the end point, the end goal. Well, like, people, yo-yos were a craze because yo-yos are fun. Mm-hmm. Pokemon cards were a craze because, like, you get to trade them and you get the full, you get all the shinies. But What's like, the craze surrounding <laughs> eating magnetic ball bearings? It's true. There's not, I can't I suppose maybe you can attach a magnet to yourself. Oh, man. And cause yourself <laughs> further internal damage. It's, yeah, that and Tide Pods, for some reason. Tide Pods? So, you know, I mean... You're that's... so trendy. <laughs> <laughs> it's an American equivalent of, you know, the aerial wa- laundry pods. Washing powder. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. What, right, what, Tide is in like aerial or... Detergent stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. People eating them on YouTube. Wow. That's become another craze. The thing I'm more impressed by is that you know that. So just to give a bit of context, Yusuf's told me three times over the past few days that he's just started watching Breaking Bad. About three years too late. And this more is, even, for him, yeah. this is like groundbreaking, monumental <laughs> thing. You know, it's like... Johnny, have you heard of this thing? It's called Netflix. It has shows on it that are... So imagine a, imagine a story, but it's visually represented. There's nar- out, narration the and that they take the concepts and, and display them visually. It's amazing. And so for him to know that there's a trend happening for school kids in America, two trends, is incredible. Really, genuinely <laughs> incredible. But anyway, so why did we bring that up? Uh, Ball bearings... Eating, Arms, eating, tissues, lean. That was it. Yep. That was it. So and we're back. <laughs> so yeah. Um, the so really all of that answers the question of why are abs so hard to get? <clears throat> Three components. So the the body fat distribution, which is massively overblown. The reason that it's become a thing is because you see bodybuilders in their final stages of prep trying to make the final little tweaks of their physique and saying my lower two abs are not as clear-cut as I'd like them to be, what drugs can I take to enhance this, or what um, What, what, what water-loading strategy can... People thinking at, at 11 12% body fat that they aren't able to get abs because they're storing water. Yeah, and they're like, uh, oh, that applies to me. I know, I've doesn't. been there. I've had that thought process. Trust me, it is not... That is not the reason. <laughs> Doing water-loading when you just aren't lean enough is probably the most demoralising, embarrassing, oh. disappointing thing you can possibly do. But yeah, bodybuilders and performance athletes at the top end is what brought the body fat distribution to argument the, to into the, the forefront. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So there's that component. There is the the actual muscle. So how deep the the strings go over the abs and how hypertrophied or how large the rectus abdominis muscle is to push through that. One of those things is under your control, the other one isn't. And then the final thing is your global body fat so there's body fat distribution and your actual body fat and again that's just caused by your consistent 
efforts of your average calorie intake, which will affect your total body fat. So pretty simple stuff. The the big takeaway is train your abs progressively, not just when you're in a deficit, mm-hmm. but when you're actually looking to build muscle. Don't treat it as if it's some special thing that can only be trained for 20 reps. And, what you know, it, it's a muscle. It's like... It, um, <laughs> yep. And also train it... Remember, um, and this is why it's important to learn some basic anatomy of the structure of your abdominal muscles and all of this stuff we cover in our mastery programs because we think it's important to have an educational component in your training so that you know why you're doing something and you can then make targeted efforts towards a goal that you're looking to get but to have anti-extension exercises so um, things like a plank would be an anti-extension or um, a swiss ball stir the pot something like that as well as um, flexion exercises if you want to to train your rectus abdominis because they will train different parts the st- stabilizing elements of your abs and the large so can you quickly explain to, to people listening because I remember this being something that I struggle with is that the difference between anti-extension and flexion okay so anti-extension is where you are holding a stable um, pelvic position and Screen's just gone off. We're still recording. Fine. When, when you're holding a, a, a state lumbar neutral position and some challenge is applied to your body that would normally, if you were just floppy, would push you into extension. So it would push you into bending your back backwards. And you have to resist that by generating stiffness in and around your abs. So the obliques, the transversus abdominis and the rectus abdominis will all turn on. A flexion movement is something like a sit up. Yep. So there is movement around the... Um, so you're, you're actively contracting and causing that, that movement. Yeah, right? exactly. So I think the... I mean, look at most load-bearing barbell-based movements. They involve an anti-extension or an anti-flexion component. And it's kind of the main way that most people experience their abs. Exactly. It's the, way, exactly. It's, the mo- it's the way people experience their abs. And then some people extrapolate that to say, oh, squats and deadlifts are all you need to do to, to train your abs. It's like they involve the abs, but you have all these tools at your disposal why not use them like mm. you can train your abs separately there's no problem with that and and really some people hate training their abs because it's unpleasant because mm-hmm. it's quite a lactic acidy muscle isn't it so what you can do is set a two minute timer at the end of your session if abs are always an afterthought and you always kind of knock them off your program because you think oh bollocks i forgot abs again never mind and then you'd say that to yourself every single session until it's two weeks out of the end of a diet and you're like oh panic that is so painfully familiar (laughs) (laughs) then then instead set a two minute timer get onto the you know the stretchy vegan bit and you're in your gym (laughs) and set a two minute timer and just do abs for two minutes the bit with all like the colorful sticks and toys and balls and bouncy (laughs) things that don't really serve any purpose but they bring new members in every gym has one of them my gym that area is covered in dust because it's an old school bodybuilding gym i'm the only one that uses it where all the bodybuilders spit as they walk (laughs) past (laughs) i'm sat there doing my like splits training and pancake and everyone's like oh you're a ballerina or something um (laughs) i'm gonna get bigger arms up with me (laughs) and just set, set up a circuit my personal one is stir the pot with a swiss ball some kind of crunch variation or swiss ball pikes where you're in a a front support so like a press-up position but with your feet on a swiss ball and you pick up your hips as if you've been picked up by they are hard they are hard Mm. and then on other days i I mean if if you guys are interested i would do dip bar l sits these are relatively advanced they're kind of like a intermediate advanced movement where you you get set up in a dip bar facing the opposite way so there's room 
and you raise your legs straight up as high as you can, so 90 degrees or higher with straight legs, and do that for three or four sets of 20. Um, even though I've just said, don't train your arms. <laughs> it, it, what it is, is train them in all rep ranges, because then you can also do heavier loaded ones, like what are they called, candlesticks or dragon flags, if you're particularly advanced, or if not, you can, you can always taper these movements down. I think the reason that abs have this associated high rep range training methodology is just simply that you have to get volume in and it's hard to do if you want to train your back heavy barbell row heavy heavy chin up it's very easy to quantify measure and progress with a with a a crunch for example like a let's say a rope crunch variation where it's there's a there's a stack of plates Mm. you just get to the point where you're like hold on i'm just using momentum and hip flexors here like this 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 is stopped becoming an abdominal exercise yeah, exactly. for the sake of load increase. So the, the reason for higher rep ranges is to is simply that dip bar L sits are hard and I'm progressing the reps. So yeah. I'm still I'm still progressing, still gaining some strength in that. Loading them is a bit difficult. And also my main focus now is the Stu McGill style movements, which are bird dogs, curl ups and um, cat camel. And there's a few other kind of abs movements in there as well. Stir the pot is one of them which are all the anti-extension ones. And if you've had any back problems, it's definitely worth checking out Stu McGill or um, just getting in touch with us and we'll, you know, there's a lot of stuff that you can do to help stabilize your back and just re-engage the muscles that will help protect your spine from, in Stu McGill's McGill's eyes, uh, the things that repeatedly wear down your spinal tissues. For me, the plank, a lot of the plank variations and, Dean's Somerset's work. Oh um, yeah, side planks as well. Side, I do. side planks and just normal. I think forward facing planks. It's a weird. Yeah. Just planks, planks and side planks and kind of glute med variations of the same thing. Um, still target the abdominal region or your your core as it's commonly known. But that's really helped with hip aggravation, tendonitis, and inflammation. I've had. I think the the science is a bit. There's not really a clear like it works because of this. There's a stability argument to it, but it works. Something to test out. So check out Dean Somerset's work on that as well. We have an interview with him. We do have an interview with him. Yeah. So I think the probably the the mistake that I see a lot of people fall into is yes, abs are to be trained like every other muscle, but I think more importantly than than a lot of exercises, focusing on actually using your abs in the movement and not just flailing around on a on the Roman chair or kind of like flapping around on the Swiss ball thinking you're doing stir the pot because it really you can make um, the movement as hard as it needs to be with just your body weight or very little load by focusing on am I actually using my abdominals in the way that I'm supposed to be training them oh here? absolutely when people are like oh I can hold a plank for 10 minutes it's like f- for me a, a 12 second plank is hard yeah because yeah. it's not about like resting on your joints and just <laughs> trying to sit in that position finding the easiest can. position to hold yeah well, that's, again, something that Dean Somerset talks about is this idea of a, of a two-minute plank or whatever. Like, it should be a 10-second plank with maximal contraction. And they're two very, very different things. Yeah. You know, how long is your average set? It's not two minutes. It doesn't need to be two minutes to get a training effect. You can get that by affecting the magnitude of the contraction, which is under your control. And that's an important balance to strike, actually, because although I said you need to progress the movement and you have an element of progressive overload, if you're doing it at the expense of technique which is what, a, a, say, a two-minute um, lazy plank is, then you're not achieving the training stimulus, the training effect that you're looking for. So progression can be from shorter rest periods, more weight, more reps, or better contraction. 
in the case of a, an arbs movement where you're doing it for the same time with something like a curl then progression shouldn't come from better contraction because your contraction should be should be the same every time should but be comparable. so i think a curl is a good example actually because i think i would far rather somebody did a curl with 10 kilos and focused on just using their bicep than 30 kilos and adds body english and swings and so, so you mean my my sixty kilo curls with, with like that are basically like a reverse a reverse grip clean? <laughs> Don't really do them. So, um, but I think it's because spine killer ab stuff is is something that so you do a curl the next day your biceps feel sore and hopefully in a few weeks you might notice your your t shirt sleeves maybe feel a bit tighter. With abs, if you're in a, a phase of training or dieting where you aren't getting leaner visually every day. There's no immediate return or reward at all. Yeah. And so finding something that you can consistently do and get some kind of... That's why I set the two-minute yeah, time. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Make, force yourself to do it and, and find something with a bit of longevity. If you're going to suddenly get to the point where you're doing cable cable crunches and you've you've hit the stack and maxed out the stack in two weeks, you'll lose interest in it. So the, progress the great, slowly. The, the great thing is as well, like if you're lean enough for your abs to be displayed there's actually a very high yield. It's a very low hanging fruit for training your abs. After a couple of weeks, they will start to pop a little bit more. So mm. it is rewarding in that sense. And for me, the immediate benefit from abs is that the more attention I place on my abs, the less back pain I have. But that's, and that's awesome. It's it is great. Yeah. yeah. I, I hope you guys don't have to get to the point where you're using the level of back pain as a, as an indicator for your improvement. But if you have had back issues, and you're ignoring your abs, then absolutely give that a go. The most direct benefit that I get is from a, from a powerlifting, from a strength perspective, is not really, so I do, there's elements of rotation, anti-rotation, flexion, and extension work in the program. It's mainly just, you know, the day after you trained out, two days after you've trained abs, there's a, a slight increase in the awareness of the contraction. Like they're a little bit sore maybe. And when you brace under a squat, you can very much feel like, I am maximally contracted yeah. there. And really, that's it. That's the benefit I get from it. So it's being able to... But at your level, the being able to to engage your abs a little bit more is the difference between hitting 300 for, for one or two reps. Exactly, for so exactly, yeah. It's it's the extra rep or the extra five kilos. But it's also safety. You know, the more tightness and stability you can create in a movement that is ultimately trying to crush you to the ground the more safe you're going to be, the, the, the lower risk of back injury. Yeah, the more protected your spine exactly. is, definitely. So um, whether it's whether your goal or outcome is functional or aesthetic, really everybody should be doing some form of ab training, whether or not you're in the last two weeks of a photo shoot prep or not. It's funny because the takeaway for this podcast is train your abs and do it in an intelligent way. It's, it, it's, like, it's something that should be so obvious, but... I bet there's a lot of people that are listening to this that just either treated it as an afterthought or kind of the last exercise in their program that they just skipped off because they've done their squats. And and the thing that's it. so funny as well is is like if you watch someone check their progress in the mirror, it's the thing they look at. Oh, yeah, true. It's you the know, thing they train the least. It's, the, know, like it's probably the thing that they skip in their session or maybe even isn't even, even in, the, in their program. And yet when they look at themselves in the gym after a session, it's like, oh, my abs are looking a bit soft. <laughs> it's like, well you're not going to expect to progress on something that you aren't doing. So exactly. it, it, it's ludicrous, but it's something that I've done myself. It's something I see all it's the time. It's very easily done. And if you find crunches boring or hard, don't you don't have to be as boring as us. You know, 
you can push the boat out a little, do something that's a little bit more exciting. Use some bands, do some palov press, do some maybe even some boxing drills. The thing where you're lying on the floor and you ha- you hold on to your friend's ankles and uh, oh, that's the uh... <laughs> punch, you punch the hands. <laughs> yeah, or like you swing your legs up. So any of those things, just to make it a little bit more fun, it's it's better than not training your abs at all. But yeah, prehab strength and an actual function in training and obviously aesthetic as well. They it does serve a purpose, and if you aren't training it. Think of a way or take some of the suggestions today and just add it in. Every session, a few times a week, doesn't matter. But just do it consistently with a progressive focus. Right. Johnny has to go because he's got a haircut. And I have to go to go and train my abs. So we'll speak to you guys next week. Okay, bad in.